Welcome to Education Suspended, a podcast focused on exploring, engaging, and dialoguing with those in education who are passionate about changing the status quo and evolving the archaic system we have inherited. Education Suspended is a production of Intricate Roots Educational Consulting Services. Our editor and production manager is Katie Kunin. Our producer is Jamie Higa, and our music is provided by Poets Row. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 18 of Education Suspended. I am Jessica Pfeiffer, one of your co-hosts. Excited to have you here. I wanted to share a big update in my professional career. I've had a promotion. I have been moved from the laundry room out to the garden shed in the backyard. So every once in a while, I'm assuming in recordings from here on out, you may hear a chicken in the background, a dog barking in the background, a lawnmower. I apologize for a small little gig here, but it's a big day. I got my own little space. Um, Just wanted to share that. All right, let's jump into our episode. Today, we sit down with Ignacio Rodriguez Jr. Really like this guy. Wish we could have done it live in Austin, Texas, but alas, we could not. So Ignacio is the lead educator in a social behavioral skills classroom in Austin, Texas. Um, Great school, Walnut Creek Elementary. If you're ever out there, check it out. They're doing awesome stuff. In this conversation, first off, his his journey and his own story is really cool. And I'm glad that he shared that with us. And um, it was such an honor to hear kind of the work that he has done to get to where he's at. On top of that, we really explore, you know, having, having new interventions is great. But if you don't know the why behind it, it's really hard for those to be successful and to last long term. We talk about why is it important to know the science behind brain breaks, behind peace corners, sensory stuff. And then on top of that, his school's done a lot of work to essentially bring a really strong sense of community uh, into their building. And you've seen it really trickle down and out. So it's gone down into the students and out into the families. And so we talk about how did that happen and what was that process like? All right, y'all. Here is Education Suspended with Ignacio Rodriguez, Jr. Ignacio, thanks for being here. We're excited to talk with you. I think everyone's going to notice this right off the bat, but we've discovered that you have an amazing radio voice. And so we, we hopefully we don't get lulled into like a three hour conversation because I was like, I'm like, oh, I could listen to him talk all day. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I love it. So just let's just start. Say hello to everybody. Introduce yourself and tell us about you as a student and how that impacts what you do now as well. Okay, definitely. I, and I'm really uh, grateful for the opportunity to be here to join you in this conversation. Um, so my name is Ignacio Rodriguez. I am a social behavioral skills teacher at Walnut Creek Elementary. It's a school here in uh, Austin, Texas, part of the Austin Independent School District. So uh, I've been teaching now going on my fifth year, uh, which has been an amazing journey. You know, and when I come into the classroom, one thing that I've realized from the moment that I started as a teacher assistant um, to where I'm at now, is that I bring a lot of the experiences that I had as a student. One of the biggest things that that I experienced as a student was the connections that I had with the teachers. Um, you know, I can remember in elementary school, uh, I still remember their names, Ms. Ramos, Ms. Guzman. I know I'll leave a few people out, but uh, all my teachers back at Mets, you know, I'm very grateful for them pushing me, for them connecting. Uh, one of the biggest things that is they made me feel that I was somebody, uh, my voice meant something. 
I mean, I think that's one of the key things that helps us be successful, that helps our students, our kids be successful. And then, you know, in junior high, I experienced the same thing. I still remember my English honors teachers, uh, my English honors teacher, Ms. Levesque. I was going to drop the class because English was my second language. Uh, my mm-hmm. first language was Spanish at home. So I did struggle, but I remember her coming, talking to me and telling me, hey, you, you, can, you can do this. I, I see it in you. Um, you know, you have the dedication to push through it, to persevere and learn. And definitely, lo and behold, that just that small conversation of her pulling me aside pretty much set the president for what my high school education would look like as well. You know, continuing with those honors classes and challenging myself to go to those AP classes as well. Now, are you, are you originally from Austin? Okay, that's a great question. So I kind of fall somewhere where it's a little bit confusing. So I was actually born in Del Rio, Texas. Um, at about the age of two, my parents decided to move to Austin. My dad was working in the oil fields, and it was like a midway point uh, for their family in Mexico and Ciudad de Cunha, and then for my dad's work in the oil fields. So at the age of two, I came to Austin and uh, pretty much was raised here my entire life, you know, with the exception of two years that I can't recall. What was it like being a bilingual student in, in the public ed system for you? You know, it was tough. And I'm going to say it was tough because there was a lot of things happening. So my parents being Mexican immigrants, um, you know, my mom and dad, uh, they didn't finish elementary school, but they always set forth education as a goal for all their kids, for all my siblings. Uh, I'm one of five siblings. So it was difficult because the, the, my friends, my peers who were already maybe second, third generation Mexican-American, they already knew the language. And I remember, uh, you know, the ESL classes and that started in first grade, uh, second grade, you know, we would get, it was about five of us. We would get pulled away from the main group and we would get instructed on the rug, you know, practicing our English. And of course, with that, unfortunately comes the, uh, you know, you get made fun of. Uh, the stigma so that was tough uh, when you know dealing with that Um, you know on top of uh, uh, this is kind of like a a joke especially in in, you know the Hispanic the Spanish-speaking culture where we as kids start interpreting for our parents at a very young age yeah so you know going to the doctor's offices uh, or just even at the stores uh, shopping for something you know we have to step up to the plate at a very young age but uh it was difficult finding where I belonged, for lack of better words. I had a predominantly Spanish-speaking friends, but then I also wanted to be part of the English-speaking friends who weren't very inviting at all times. And when they were, you know, like I said, it was, it was a little bit of that teasing because I couldn't say certain words right. Or, you know, uh, I was struggling with the English language. Uh, that was difficult. Um, as I progressed, you know, through elementary school, learned the language, became more acclimated, uh, assimilated, um, you know, to the American culture. I used to watch yeah. Chips, if anybody remembers that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that. That was one of my favorite shows to come to after school. And, you know, I used that, like I would listen to it. And, I, you know, that's where I would pick up some of my English. Um, of course, junior high, everything's more evolved. Uh, I, I'm more uh, native with the English language and I'm getting along with everybody. Uh, but at the same time, with me going through that, um, I saw fellow peers yeah. that were newcomers to this country that didn't speak English. So I definitely went out of my way 
to help them, uh, you know, navigate through the school system, uh, yeah. navigate through some difficult situations. And uh, I carry that even now as an adult, um, if I'm at the grocery store and I see somebody struggling to communicate, you know, I'll be respectful. I said, hey, do you need help? Can I assist you, you know, communicating and all that? So yeah, it, it was right. the school system taught me a lot going through it, those uh, navigating adventures as I call them. Um, and now here I am. Yeah, I was consulting with a school last year that was kind of in the beginning phases of dealing with the racial inequities that they felt existed in their system. And so one of the things that we were looking at was the services that, that they provide for their bilingual language learners. And they also had a, a model in which they kind of pulled all these kids out. And so without even knowing it, right, kind of having these critical conversations about how did that how did that create, you know, that, that element of stigmatization for these students and then increasing kind of how they felt marginalized and the system didn't even think twice about it for years, right? But kind of opening up that dialogue. So I'm glad that you brought that up because I think they were doing things unintentionally that were making it harder for these students. Yeah, and, and you know, it's great that, that you know, you word it, I think you worded it a bit nicer than I have, you know, used a little bit of the vocabulary that is gonna pop at people and, and they're gonna listen. But you know, that's, I think that's still something that we struggle with Absolutely. Uh, today. It's still a challenge, um, you know, especially uh, for all those educators, all the service providers that work in a, a diversified community. Um, you know, for example, uh, the community that I serve, uh, my students, we speak at our school, there's 21 different languages that are spoken. Wow. So of course I can assist with the Spanish speaking population, I can, you know, be like, hey, como le ayudo, le puedo, uh, que necesita, que pregunta tiene, I can do that. But then, um, you know, we have uh, quite a bit of uh, refugee students. Uh, we have some as far as Afghanistan, Iraq. Um, and we don't, we don't have anybody that, we have our language line that can help us, but how do we help them in the front lines when, they're, when they've just arrived to the school They've only yeah. been in the country for like two weeks. Like, wow. what else can we do? Um, and, you know, I've actually been blessed. I don't know if it's just the way men, things were meant to be. So one of my teacher assistants is actually from Iraq. And oh, she speaks wow. uh, a couple of different uh, Arabic dialects. So she has been a huge mm -hmm. asset to our community to be able to reach out to them and target um, the students immediately with uh, strategies and interventions and assist the families. Well, your, your bilingual background, I, I, you must be proud of it because I'm jealous. So I want to say that you should be proud because I'm jealous. It must really serve you well, though, with these kids you're just talking about, the, the struggles you've gone through and the things that you've experienced. Yes. Um, you know, if I, if, you know, I've had this question posed to me, hey, if you had to do this over again, would you prefer to, um, you know, start the same way, you know, speaking Spanish and learn, learning English and and realizing what you've gone through, I said, I would not change anything about it. Um, I do feel it's been an asset. It's actually helped me connect with students a lot um, because yeah. I can relate. I can, I can tell them, hey, I remember being in your shoes. I remember struggling uh, to write the English language, to read it, to speak it. Uh, I remember being really nervous. I would get like flush red, start sweating, and I would just shy away because I was scared. I'm like, oh, am I gonna say that uh, word wrong? You know, even then, even today, there's still a few words like, 
uh, one of the things I hate doing is ordering a chocolate shake because when I order it too fast, in Spanish, we, you know, we used to have the che, the ch. Um, so oftentimes when I'd order it real quick, real quick, I'd be like chocolate shake, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but it, it's one of those things that I that I learned to to live with, and and I adopted it. And, and you know, I would even humor myself when when I have that slip up. It still yeah, happens today, but uh, it's been valuable um, to be bilingual um, and and to be able to, like I said, connect and relate. Yeah. Uh, with a lot of my kids. Well, not just being bilingual, but you're also a male in education, right? So like in, in more than one way, you're representing so much, so much for students. Yes. You know, it, it's interesting um, that that is brought up because that's one of the first things that I was told um, when I started working uh, in education. Uh, I remember my mentor told me, he goes, he was also a male. He goes, you know, there's not many of us in this area. And he goes, you bring a lot, you have a lot of potential, you have a lot of uh, possibilities to impact, you know, a lot of our kids, especially our, our male youth, so they can see you as an example, and you can lead them uh, to be successful. So, um, you know, I really uh, cherish I that. that position uh, that I've been put in, and I take on any challenge. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, let's talk about kind of the work that you're doing in your classroom. So it sounds like you said you were a, a social be behavioral skills teacher. What, what was the title? Yes, yeah, social behavioral skills teacher. So it is part of our special education programming um, okay. that is offered on our campus. Um, and one of the main things is a lot of my students that, I, that I'm working with, a lot of my kids, they've struggled in one way or another. Um, you know, we have these labels um, that for paperwork reasons, we have to use um, medical diagnosis that, that a doctor may provide. So a lot of the students may have the emotional disturbance sort of, uh, sure. you know, label attached to it. And when people hear that, they're like, oh, you know, this kid was probably hit a lot or something like that. And it's not really that. It's, it's a lot of factors. So a lot of my students struggle throughout the day to be able to regulate themselves when they're having a tough morning, whether it was mom didn't give them the pancakes they wanted, or they're just having a tough day getting up and they're like, I really don't wanna be at school. Um, on top of the academics, uh, most of them are definitely uh, not on grade level. So it is frustrating to them when they're in the gen ed classroom and the teacher gives a homework or gives an assignment with like 10 questions and they don't even understand two of them. So their emotions, you know, get the best of sure. them. And then we have, you know, uh, a student that might start yelling at the teacher, may withdraw to himself or, or themselves or herself to, to a corner, not participate, maybe become uh, disruptive to the, uh, you know, to the class as the teacher is uh, proceeding forward with her lesson. And so what I come in and do is uh, my job is to actually help them navigate those challenges, figure out what can I do in a scenario of conflict resolution. If I'm at recess and I want the soccer ball to myself, but there's a group of us oh, that yeah. want to play with it, what can I do? Uh, I've experienced that quite a bit. Um, you know, on top of what I said, there, there is some stuff that happens at home that the kiddos bring into the classroom the next morning. 
even though it happened in the evening, may have happened right after school the previous day, they still bring that that experience, that trauma, even something as them not having food on the table because the parents or the mom doesn't have a job, lost their job. So they bring that to the classroom. So it's my job to teach them the social skills on how to make best decisions, uh, making good choices, even if it means telling the teacher, hey, don't talk to me right now. I want to be by myself. So yeah, a lot of the the interpersonal skills that um, yeah. maybe at some point in in, in their educational career, um, you know, because it happens. Um, you know, let's be honest. Um, whenever students are are displaying challenging behaviors, some teachers may uh, not want to engage or may not want to pursue. Sometimes the easiest thing is to call an admin. Hey, I have a student who's being disruptive. Can you come help? Yeah. And what ends up happening? The student gets removed from the classroom and that triggers him more. Uh, but my job is to actually, if that happens with students that are already in the classroom, I go ahead and address it in the classroom. You know, I talk to them, um, you know, I, I, you know, I write down stuff. Uh, sometimes I even carry choice cards and I'm like, hey, you don't have to tell me anything verbally. Just pick one and we will make like that, that choice. So yeah, that, that, that's kind of what I do. Uh, a lot of the, the social skills aspect of, uh, of the students' uh, daily interactions that may occur throughout, throughout the school yeah. day. And uh, the goal is that they carry these uh, strategies or, or carry these uh, ideas that I teach them outside of school as well, at home with the parents or with the mom, sibling. A question is what role does the linguistic aspect play knowing that you have 21 languages in your school as well as the cultural implications to teaching social skills so that that is a great question because that's one of the things that has been a challenge for us it's been a challenge for me is when you have to call a parent uh, or when you have to call a family um, at home and let them know how the student's day went uh, of course, the, the cultural implications are, are, are big because we have to know how to address each individual. You know, I'm not going to address, you know, a parent that speaks Spanish that's from Mexico the same way I'll address a, a parent who is from Central America because the vocabulary that we often use that I've learned over the years that I use, the words may not derive the same meaning for a parent in Central America because I've had it happen. I use the wrong word and the parents like, what did you say about my son? I was like, no, no, no. And I have to like backtrack and explain um, on top of the beliefs. There are uh, families who based on, on their cultural inclinations are more disciplinary, you know, and that's not what I want. I'm not calling the home so you can uh, discipline them, whether whatever, whichever way they decide they see fit. My job is to connect that bridge, use this phone call to help us address and at the same time, listen to you. That's one of the key things that I found uh, for us to be successful is to listen to the parents uh, because we also have to get to know their culture and their background and kind of how they see schooling because that's one of the things that I've learned that has helped me uh, build those relationships is actually listening to the parents. Given, you know, doing my weekly phone calls, giving them an update and always starting off, hey, look, I'm calling to give you an update so we can discuss progress. It's never, hey, I'm calling you because uh, little Johnny did this today and that really uh, upset me. No, it's like, hey, look, I, I want to let's talk about how we're doing so far or how your son or daughter's doing so far. Do you, do you have your kids uh, 
with you as a class as well, or are you kind of the free agent roaming? So actually, mostly? I am the free agent roaming. Um, so my goal is for all my kids to be in the general education classroom uh, because uh, I believe um, that my, my students are always a, a general education student first. They might be put in special education with me for additional supports, but they're always going to be a, a, a gen ed student first. Um, on top of that, with me being a free agent, um, you know, that's like a great way to put it. I love that. I'm going to have to start using that. It gives me the opportunity to not just support my students, but support the campus as a whole, yeah. support yeah. all our kids. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of my role um, is I'm actually there for for everybody, you know, we've created a, a communication system with the use of radios um, that uh, from our admin team to even our custodians will respond. They know how they've built those relationships. Um, so a lot of kids will be like, oh, you know, there comes so-and-so. Uh, and next thing you know, I'm, I'm responding to the radio. And then I get there and kids are all happy. And, you know, there's a custodian there talking to them. Um, so it's been great. And uh, the communication system has, is key, you know, because yeah. at some point years back before we started implementing uh, a lot of strategies on our campus, you would hear, hey, uh, so-and-so is angry on the radio. So one of the first things we did is we changed our verbiage. Let's not say, because usually what happens is a student hears a teacher calling on the radio or even on the phone saying, so-and-so's angry, guess what? They're just gonna escalate more, you know? So, so we started using terms that don't have such a negative connotation, like the student is not regulated or the student may need a break. And we show up, whoever it may be, whether it's myself or other teammates, we just talk to them. There's no voice raising, nothing. You know, it's a little private conversation and mm -hmm. we listen to them. We ask them, you know, well, what do you wanna do at this moment? I can see that that you're not regulated right now. You know, I can see how you're holding your hands, your fist, um, you know, your body posture. What would you like to do right now? You know, most students make a choice. They'll be like, hey, can I leave the classroom? Like, sure, come on, let's go for a walk. Something as simple as taking them out on the track for a couple walks or letting them run loose in the fresh air. Next thing you know, you know, our kiddos back in focus and we're back in the classroom. What was the motivation behind making that change, right? I mean. When I hear you say sh shifting your verbiage, that's that's big for a system. Why? What kind of led to that? So with us, we we've been uh, very fortunate for our campus to be involved in many pilot programs. And one of the key things that we have learned is that vocabulary makes a big difference. Yeah, the vocabulary that we use makes a big difference. So we had to shift that. And one of the key things that happened was our admin team has been so supportive. Dr. Bordis uh, over at our campus has put me in, in opportunities where I can drive those changes. But before I could drive that change and sort of in a, in a way sell it to my team that, hey, this is what we need to do. It had to start with me. Yeah. I had to be the first one showing, hey, I'm not going to use these words anymore. Yeah. I'm going to change my verbiage. Once I do that and I show that to everyone else, well, then at that point, you know, it's kind of that lead by example. And I've been very fortunate that my teammates, uh, all my coworkers have given me that 
opportunity, that confidence and that trust to show them, hey, we can do this. It hasn't been easy, but just that opportunity to begin with that, the change of verbiage, the change of our vocabulary, let's use more uh, non-negative vocabulary, more positive, neutral vocabulary. It's going to help us a long way because, uh, like I said, every time the teacher was saying such and such student um, is angry, I even did it. Um, you know, because my first year I didn't, I was learning the ropes, but then I realized as more professional developments that I attended, more opportunities came up. I'm like, that's my start. Change my vocabulary, my words. Mm -hmm. And I started noticing a difference in those difficult situations with all the students. I was getting a totally different response. And from that point forward, I've led a a few professional uh, development trainings on our campus every year. And like I said, that's where my, my teammates uh, have given me that opportunity to sort of preach what I do. No, Ignacio, when you talk about teammates, I got to go back because I, I, my antenna went up when you mentioned custodians um, <laughs> and the importance of them. But I'm sure it extends beyond that. I, I would love to know how intentional you were or your team was or Dr. Boris or whoever was involved in in including everybody in creating this community that your school has managed to to create. We were at the drawing board. I remember a lot of meetings, uh, Dr. Bordis, myself, uh, our school counselor, uh, Ms. Thornton, our other admin, uh, Mr. Benitez, we would sit in the game planning room. And, you know, if we want to make this successful, what does it look like? And, you know, the more conversations we had, the more ideas that were written down, we realized that this can only be successful if everyone's included. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone, even our cafeteria workers, our front office staff, our attendance clerk, our uh, accounting clerk. That's the only way we can make it successful. And, and that's what we set out to do. The knowledge I was sharing with my teachers, my teammates, that I was also going to make um, that connection with my custodians to let them know, hey, you're part of our team. And although you're not a teacher in the classroom, you are very, uh, very much a part of our, our foundational work here. And, you know, I went and I would talk to my custodians, most of them are Spanish speakers, and, you know, I would let them know what was going on. And then, of course, after the amount of years that I've been there doing the job that I do. I had one of our our custodians come and tell me, she's like, man, I've been here many years and you're the first teacher that I have seen has weathered the storm and brought the calm. You know, I've had a lot of teachers and when they tell me that I take it to heart, that they tell me, how do you do it? How is it that we're seeing these changes? Part of it is just including everyone, letting Mm -hmm. them know that, hey, we're, we're in this together. We're a team. Just because you're a custodian or you're one of the uh, the ladies at the cafeteria line, you're in this because like my kids, I make it a, a goal that they communicate with even our cafeteria workers, whether yeah. they didn't want a banana and they wanted an orange. I'm like, what do we got to do? Ask Miss so-and-so if there's something that you can do because we have a, we're experiencing a little bit of a dilemma and this is where we got to use our skills. Yeah. What can we do? So and like I said, just the community there uh, on our campus, everyone has been uh, wonderful in, in, in growing together. It hasn't been easy, I'll tell you yeah. that much. The, the change is not easy. Um, it's been a challenge, but I think 
the more and more successes that we've seen over the years, it's like, wow, this is really working and we just need to continue to evolve uh, from where we're at. Ignacio, I was able to hear Dr. Boris um, speak a couple months ago, and there was a line that she said in her presentation about the work of your system. Um, she said, we didn't change because we didn't understand. And so when she realized that as the leader, the understanding meant that she had to focus on the adults first. And part of that was your process as you're highlighting, right, of the whole system taking on that common language and that common lens. So it's cool just to kind of hear you reiterate that piece. She was so amazing to listen to. Yes. And, and you know, she's been the, the driving force. Um, when I got hired at our campus, she had already been there a year. And I actually walked into sort of the rebuilding, a lot of growing pains. Dr. Bordes took the job as the principal there. She knew she was going to have a lot of challenges. You know, I was even told, hey, make sure you Google our school before you accept the offer to come here work as a teacher assistant. They're like, we want to be transparent that um, we are definitely facing some, some challenges and some hardship, but she has always persevered and the support that she gives us, um, also the autonomy to share our ideas with her to be able, you know, that, that whole open door policy, that, that is like true with her. Uh, no matter what she's doing, she is there to listen to us, the teachers, whether it, it's a good, it's a good thought or it's a, it's something saying, Hey, you know, this ain't working and I'm not happy. She has that open door. She also understands what it takes. You know, like you just finished saying, it has to start from the top, from our leadership, because, you know, if the leader is acknowledging, Hey, We've kind of been doing things. We've been going about it the wrong way. Let's shift our dynamic. Let's shift our thought process, and let let's evolve. So that that's really big. Um, you know, one of the things that she's implemented is we often do uh, every year we do a book study together as a staff. Hmm. You know, we've done uh, Dr. Perry's The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog, Stuart Avalon, The School Discipline Fix, Culturize. Uh, with Jimmy Casas. And, and, you know, right now we're looking at doing uh, connections over compliance. Um, Dr. Uh, Sawtills, I think I pronounced that correctly. So she has also been innovative in implementing those book studies. Like that, that. that also gives us a, a different view on things. And, and like I said, her as a leader, she has been awesome. Our whole administrative team has been awesome and supportive. And, and I think that's why we, we are we are making so many changes and we've come this far uh, because yeah. of that. You know, often people say we won't make a paradigm shift until the previous paradigm proves to be <laughs> not good enough. Um, and I, I think that's a bit of the history of your school, um, of, a, of a school that has made a fabulous turnaround. I just don't if you want to elaborate on that just a, a little bit about how hard paradigm shifts are and how did you meet that challenge when when you kind of figured out that the way we're doing business isn't exactly working that well well uh there's been a lot of challenges during this uh, paradigm shift one of them um i know at the beginning at the outset uh parents didn't have a lot of trust in our in our school in our community, our, our teachers. Don't get me wrong, all our teachers are awesome, but there was just a lot of events that had unfolded prior to Dr. Bordes taking over that, of course, predominantly uh, Hispanic community. They didn't, you know, once you lose their trust, you lose it. And it's very hard to get it back. So yeah. we had we had the, the issue with the parent trust. Uh, we had the issue with the parent involvement. 
And then we had, of course, the battle of the teachers who were rightfully so burned out, tired because of all the events that had transpired. And, and they felt that at the time, uh, prior to Dr. Bodis getting there, there wasn't really a leadership there were it was it was a struggling campus our students were struggling academically behavior was the biggest behavioral the behavioral challenges i remember when i joined was it 2016 when i started as a teacher assistant and then 2017 when i started getting understanding more about the education uh educational system and everything because i actually education had not been my initial career when I graduated college many, many years ago. Life changes brought me here, but uh, behavior was, was one of our biggest challenges. We were outliers for elementary level that had, that we had to take disciplinary action as far as like, you know, having to suspend a student or for something that was within the, the guidelines that deemed, hey, you can suspend the student. So we went from originally, I think the stats were that I can recall during those times, 2016, 17, we were at like 60, roughly, uh, disciplinary actions throughout the year. And I'm pretty proud to say that with all the hard work from Dr. Bodis, all our staff, all our teachers, uh, we have at I think the last report we had was we just had one, one or two disciplinary actions wow. for the whole year. The parent engagement increased. Those tough conversations turned into learning opportunities for us. When we did have to call a parent home, mm -hmm. let's make it a learning opportunity. Let's change our thought process on that. Mm -hmm. Bringing in parents to show them what we're doing on our campus, how we're changing things to the point where we're at now. We offer parent trainings where parents are learning about peace areas, about our sensory paths that we've put throughout our entire campus and how they help regulate students. They're learning about things they can do at home, kind of have some sensory stuff where if, if the child is having a tough time, hey, look, he has access to this at home. So that was one of the biggest pushes we wanted to do is bring in the community, bring in the parents. It's, pay, it's paid benefits like a yeah. lot. It's helped us change. And, you know, like I said earlier, we have about 21 different languages. So we're, we're finding our resources that helps us also connect with those families, you know, that may speak a different language other than English or Spanish. So we're, it's been a lot of engagement, a, a lot of tough phone calls, a lot of tough conversations in person, but we changed our, our view of it. We turned it into a learning process. Yeah. Well, you, you just made a statement for where I'd like to go is, can you talk more about kind of the tangible or actually like hands-on things that you're doing, I guess, specifically with behavior. And then I'd love to talk about teaching. That's leading to the behavioral shifts, right? Like what are some of the things that you can share with folks? Okay, so one of the things is every classroom um, has a peace area. Of course, right now we've had to re redirect things on how we're, we're creating these peace areas just with our whole uh, situation with COVID, but every classroom has a peace area. Um, one of the things that we focused on is every morning, have a morning greeting. All our classrooms have a little chart outside where you know the teacher's standing at the door and is saying, hey, what's your morning greeting? Sometimes like right now, they're doing a lot of air fives, uh, a lot of elbows in the air and stuff like that. So we've made that um, a priority. All our teachers also, at the same time throughout our campus, we have what are called our morning meetings. And this is just like a morning icebreaker, you know, after the kids have their breakfast in the classroom, put everything up, the teacher does a morning icebreaker just to get the kids 
um, relax and not straight into like, hey, take out your math book today. We've uh, installed uh, sensory paths in our, our uh, excuse me, our first and second grade pods, our kinder pods, and our pre-K pods. So these are things that are hands-on for the kids where they're jumping on the little tadpoles, twisting around, uh, depending on the item, the decal, doing the hopscotch at the same time counting numbers. Um, we have our little alphabet snake that the kids really love because that one, uh, when we installed it, we made sure to extend it so they could use up a lot of energy and, and, and have a lot of fun. On top of that, we've got a lot of sensory boards. We've got about five sensory boards that are mounted in specific uh, areas where we used to have a lot of students that would leave the classroom um, when they would get upset or be unregulated. And we made those like safe areas. So a lot of kids, when they would leave the classroom, we could hear where they were at because they would go to a sensory board. And the first thing they would love to do is honk the horn that's on there, that's mounted on there. <laughs> that, that was their go-to. Um, I, I actually had to put, um, I had to stuff them with Kleenex. because. <laughs> It got to the point where, you know, I'd get a phone call and they'd be like, hey, Mr. Rodriguez, um, our horns are getting pretty loud. They're going off in this hallway and that hallway. So uh, I had to stuff them with people. So those are some of the things we're doing um, in the upper grade levels, the fourth, fifth grade. The teachers are, are, are also given that, like I said, that autonomy. It's a little bit different because the fourth and fifth graders are a little bit more, you know, they're reaching that, hey, I'm getting older, I'm more mature. I'm not going to use a sensory board, but um, every once in a while, you'll catch them also using them. Yeah. They're pretty fun. But yeah, those are more of the, the tangible things that we're doing, the hands-on. that the right. So so this is my question then about these tangible pieces. There's two, and then I can re-ask them. But, but the first one is, like, when I think about these piece areas that you talk about, or this, like, sensory path in your hallway, how do you work with the adults to kind of move it so that you're using it in a proactive way? Right, so that we're not just waiting until our students are already escalated and then say, oh, well, let's go to the peace corner. Or at the same time, how does it not become almost a consequence, right? Well, you're upset, go to the peace corner. So that's my first question. And then the second one is, how are you then also teaching the teachers about the why these things work? Okay. So I'll that was a lot. That was a lot. Sorry. All right. I'll answer the first question. So as far as getting them to use it proactively, well, number one, we've had all the teachers go through the sensory paths. They've all had to do it. So they understand nice. how nice. it flows. Um, on top of that, I'm going to use our, our pre-K team. They've done a really great job. Um, you know, every morning they'll sort of put their kids through the, through the maze. So they're using it proactively in the sense that before the students step into the classroom, they're already doing a repetitive activity, a regulating activity that gives them body movement and kind of gets a yeah. little bit maybe of the, the morning jitters or that anxiousness that they're feeling in the morning, kind of already getting it worked out of the system. Then they walk into the classroom and they start their morning routines. You know, that, that I think that's the prime example that I can use. And also as far as like, hey, how do we not use it as a consequence? So there's a lot of steps that we've worked and the teachers all as a whole to have discussed. One of the things that we've done over the summer, and it's been on a volunteer basis, is Dr. Bodis has put together a group of uh, volunteers and it's a volunteer process. It's not something that you have to do. It's those teachers who want to, we come in together as a team and we discuss what our initiatives and, and one of the things has been the behaviors and our resources, our tools. How do we not use them 
as a consequence. In what scenarios, you know, should we say, hey, you can go to the peace area to, you know, regulate, calm down, and not just be an automatic response? Hey, so little Jimmy's there in class and he's tapping his pencil and it's annoying the teacher. Is that going to be an automatic response to go to the peace area? No. Um, you know, the teacher has to take the first steps of addressing the student, seeing, is there something that I can do to help you? Are you having difficulty with something? And, and oftentimes what I've seen is as soon as there's a distraction or something that's disrupting, um, it used to be automatic in the past where it's like, hey, you know, the child needs the peace area. So th those are a lot of things that we've addressed is what is our initial protocol to address behavior before we say, you need to go to the peace area or, hey, let's take the child out to the sensory path. I don't know if that answered it, but I think. Yeah, I, and I love that you just said that there's a clear protocol for your staff, yet elements of flexibility. Like that's yes. just so important. And then, yeah, the second part was, how are you teaching the why behind these things work? Because what I have found with schools that are doing, you know, that will say, oh, we have peace corners or we have sensory boards, they don't really get the why. And so what I find is that it doesn't last, right? Correct. That, you know, I go back in a year later and everything's gone and they have a new thing that they're doing. So how are you teaching the why behind that? So one of the biggest things that we've done is we, we've learned how our brain engages. I think that's one of the, been one of the key things that we've taken a hold of. Our campus was one of the first school districts to adopt NME boot camp founded by Dr. Bruce Perry. The main takeaway that we've learned is that we have to learn how our brain engages. How does our brain engage during teaching? How does our brain engage during us trying to regulate uh, ourselves, calm ourselves, calm our anxiety or our heart rate? So the biggest why that we've taught our staff is to show them that why, hey, this is what happens to our brain when we're doing this activity. This is what happens to our brain when we're, when we're twisting, when we're jumping, when we're having a rhythmic flow to an activity that we're doing. Uh, on top of that, like I said, we go back to one of those things where it's practice what we preach. Um, I remember my first training that I led uh, after getting a little bit of knowledge uh, under my belt about our brain and, and how rhythm, repetition, sounds work. And I think this was the, the turning point for our campus was if I can't convince my, my teammates, if I can't sell them that, hey, this is, this stuff is good. It's not, I'm not just showing you PowerPoint slides to tell you this is why it works. I got to get you to do it. So after I delivered a lot of the visuals in the, in the slides and PowerPoints, I embedded activities. And one of the things that I did was I actually took a military song cadence and I did it geared with teacher vocabulary. And so when I had my slide up, I said, okay, guys, I am going to call out the words or the sentence in black and y'all are going to call out in blue. All right. That's going to be y'all's cue. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna march in place, right, left, right, left. And so we got that rhythm going and uh, it was really cool because I ended up getting a lot of positive feedback from my staff. They were like, hey, like I understand now what you were telling us in, the, in all the PowerPoint slides. So I think that's what we do is we not only just oh, talk about the why and have them read, we actually practice it. And, and I think that's what's helped us. Uh, you know, Come my friend, that, re that reminds me of a famous saying, and you just brought it to light for me from one of my favorite padres who said, you, you can't think your way to a new way of living. 
you can only live your way to a new way of thinking. And you have just illustrated that quote for me uh, better than anyone. You took it to heart. It's, It's not just talk, it's practice, it's action. You guys did actionable steps throughout this process. I, I think that's marvelous. Yes, and, and you know, and, and lastly to say, my thing is it doesn't just stop at my job, my profession from 6.30 in the morning to four o'clock when I leave campus. All these things that I've been learning, all, the, all these concepts, everything, all the knowledge about the brain, how it engages, how we respond in, in certain situations. I carried over into my personal life as well. It has helped me so mm-hmm. much. You know, when I started this new endeavor, this career in education, uh, I was going through a, lot, through a tough time in my personal life. There was a lot of things happening, a lot of things changing, but it helped me also overcome that mm. um, yeah. because I was not only practicing this as my profession, but I, you know, I was also able to implement it in, in my personal life. Right around 2017, I actually ran a half marathon with my younger brother. I thought I would not be able to do it. You know, I attribute um, that specific challenge and, and me getting it accomplished to the work that I've been able to do and everything that I've been able to learn in my profession. That's amazing. Good for you. Good for you. You know, you, know, you are a contagious fellow in a very positive way. Has your school become a contagious school? in a positive way. Yes, it's great. Uh, I love feeling it. When you walk into a campus, you can feel it. I remember in the past, parents would tell us like, hey, the campus didn't feel inviting, but with all the changes, everything that's happened, it's just the atmosphere, the interaction with our teachers. I mean, when you talk to our campus staff, all our teachers, we never say our students. I mean, we use it outside of campus, you know, when we're talking to just the general public, but when you talk to all our staff on campus, everyone's like, my kids, Oh, my kids are having a difficult time today. Oh, my kids have a lot of energy. So we use that connection that that shows a big difference. Whereas when you hear, oh, the students, it sounds a little bit sort of detached, but every teacher on our campus, they always refer to their students as my kids. Oh, my kids did this today. It's really wonderful to see. And and it just, it's contagious. Like you said, uh, when it starts with one person, it's a domino effect. And that's kind of what we have going on. Even during these tough times of COVID, we've had a lot of struggles as, as staff, uh, but we've been able to come together to not, not only support each other, but also support our families that we serve in, in many ways possible. So, I love it. I love it. I was thinking, Ignacio, you really highlighted today. And especially like for me, you just got me thinking of, we, we talk about relationships, how that's so important. But I don't think we talk enough about the relationships between the teachers with the staff and that whole like broad community. And when that happens, so much more change just trickles yeah. down, right? It expands outside of the building. It goes to, to these homes and, and these families now want to interact with the school. And I think that's so incredible that you highlighted that. Yeah. And like, and, and like I said, it's, it's everybody there on our campus. And I just want to finish off with just saying this. All our staff has gone out of their way. Um, right now, since COVID started, to support our families, there's been a there's been one one teacher in particular, and I'll mention his name, uh, Mr. Salcedo, who I he has been um, the guy has been delivering food to homes since day one of COVID. Wow. While our kids were learning virtually, you know, he was on top of it. But everybody, all our campus, all our staff, I don't want to leave anyone out. They have all gone uh, above and beyond to to their teammates and to their families. 
What an amazing way to end. Ignacio, we can't thank you enough for being with us, for sharing your story. I think this was just so powerful for other teachers mm-hmm. to hear. If if it's okay with you, are you okay if we um, put a link up to, it was a video that Dr. Boros uh, presented during her talk um, about your peace corners and your sensory walls. I think it was one of the most powerful things I've seen. And if it's okay with you, I'd love to put it up on our website. So when folks go there, they can kind of also, they can visually see some of that. Is that okay? Yes. That, that would be perfect. I would love for y'all to put that up because you can right. see how, how our yeah. kiddos have been empowered in the process. Perfect. Um, so, so we'll, yeah. Yeah. Okay. We'll great. make sure it's up on the website. Thank you for your time, um, for enlightening us. And most importantly, thank you for the work that you're doing and changing our system. Yeah. It's, you're doing amazing, amazing stuff. Thank you all for this opportunity. And I'm grateful to be able to bring um, just a little part of the story from, from Texas of what we're doing here.